This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on schizophrenia. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Schizophrenia affects around 0.7% of the population. A significant number of those affected will have lifelong problems, including recurrent psychosis, negative symptoms, physical health impairment, and increased risk of suicide. There are a lot of very serious problems. So what can we do to help? To tell us, we have on the line Professor Adrian Prida, Professor of Psychiatry at University of California, Irvine School of Medicine. And importantly, Adrian is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on this condition. So Adrian, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking you to tell us what exactly is schizophrenia? Uh, Well, schizophrenia is uh, a long-term or chronic uh, serious uh, mental health uh, condition uh, that really consists in uh, um, difficulties uh, uh, interpreting reality. Uh, It tends to be a lifelong disease and uh, it tends to result in a pretty significant functional impairment. Okay, thank you. And how do you make the diagnosis? The diagnosis is uh, made uh, mostly on uh, on a clinical basis. Uh, uh, so that's based on uh, getting a history of the symptoms and also completing a mental status examination, uh, which uh, uh, consists in uh, really asking people about their uh, uh, psychological symptoms. What symptoms in particular would you uh, ask about? Schizophrenia tends to uh, manifest through uh, three uh, different categories of symptoms. Uh, there are the so-called uh, positive symptoms. Uh, positive meaning that uh, there is uh, a surplus of uh, psychological experiences. Uh, typical positive symptoms include uh, auditory hallucinations. Uh, people uh, can experience hearing voices or seeing things. Uh, and also um, uh, fixed uh, uh, ideas that are not uh, based on reality, uh, which uh, we classify as delusional uh, beliefs. There is also the possibility that people could have uh, disordered thinking. Um, uh, these are the positive symptoms. There is another category of negative symptoms, uh, which uh, uh, consists of uh, lack of uh, motivation or interest or uh, ability to experience pleasure. And uh, last but not least, uh, people could also experience cognitive problems, difficulties uh, uh, with executive functioning or uh, just paying attention to things or concentrating. Okay, thank you. And are there any recent advances in the assessment of patients with schizophrenia? There is a lot of research that's uh, that's going on and we learn a lot about schizophrenia over time. So uh, we now understand better uh, of uh, things that uh, could increase the risk for schizophrenia. However, we don't have a diagnostic test that could uh, conclusively rule in or out schizophrenia. Uh, the advances are happening mostly in terms of treatments at this time. Okay, thank you. And And just remaining on the diagnosis for one more question. What are the common pitfalls in making the diagnosis of schizophrenia? Probably the most common pitfall is uh, a delay to diagnosis. Um, 
schizophrenia tends to have a, a, a much better prognosis if it's diagnosed earlier, but it turns out that people could experience uh, psychotic symptoms, uh, schizophrenia symptoms for up to three years without being diagnosed. So there is a delay to diagnosis that's, uh, that's fairly common and uh, that uh, unfortunately results in uh, not as good as a response to treatment. Okay, thank you. And, and the delay in diagnosis, does that have short-term or long-term adverse effects or, or, or both? Probably long-term adverse effects. Uh, it turns out that the earlier we start the treatment, uh, uh, the better the prognosis, meaning the response to treatment. And also there is a chance that we can actually control the symptoms and uh, uh, stop the medications later on if we treat it um, as early as possible. Okay, thank you. And can you, let, let's move on to management now. What is the mainstay of management? Uh, the mainstay of med- management uh, um, is uh, uh, medications. Um, we have uh, quite a few medications that have been shown to be uh, pretty effective against the positive symptoms. We don't have uh, very effective treatments for uh, the cognitive deficits and negative symptoms. So there is uh, uh, also a place for psychological uh, psychological interventions and uh, uh, social interventions that could support people um, uh, have meaningful lives, uh, function uh, well, get jobs, connect uh, socially. Tell us about any recent advances in the management of patients with schizophrenia. Well, the good news is that uh, um, over the last uh, couple of years, uh, uh, there are uh, uh, quite a few new medications in the pipeline. Uh, um, There are a couple of medications that have a slightly different mechanism of action uh, that have been uh, approved for the treatment of schizophrenia. And uh, the hope with the new treatments uh, is that they're going to be uh, more efficient than the older medications in terms of uh, uh, helping people function better and also specifically target uh, the, the deficit symptoms, the negative symptoms, as well as the cognitive problems. Thank you. And are those um, new medications in the pipeline currently or are any of them licensed? There is a medication that's uh, just been uh, approved in the United States. Uh, it's called, uh, the generic name is Lumateperon, um, and uh, it's not yet available uh, for uh, uh, for us to prescribe, but it's been approved. And uh, uh, there are a couple of medications that are pretty advanced, uh, close to approval. Okay. And in terms of medications that are currently licensed, um, what are the, 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 the first-line um, medications that are recommended? We tend to uh, uh, divide the, the medications for the treatment of schizophrenia in uh, uh, two or three categories. Uh, uh, the first-generation medications, these are the older medications, uh, uh, which uh, work on a neurotransmitter that's called, uh, that's called dopamine. Those medications uh, uh, can be effective uh, for the positive symptoms, but unfortunately, they have significant neurological side effects. There is a second generation of medication um, which work on uh, uh, dopamine, but another neurotransmitter as well that's called serotonin. These medications tend to be uh, uh, better tolerated with regards to neurological problems. They are as effective. 
And uh, um, while they don't directly improve the negative symptoms, they do not make the negative symptoms worse, which has been a problem with the first generation. So the second generation medication is actually the first line of treatment. Uh, We have uh, a number of uh, uh, medications in the second generation family. Uh, So multiple options. We usually decide uh, what medication to start. Um, after we present the uh, the benefits and also the adverse effects to our patients, so it tends to be uh, a shared decision making. The medications are pretty equal with regards to efficacy and tolerability, but there are small differences. So that's where the patient preference is actually very important. Okay, and can you give me um, an, an example of um, s- small differences where patient preferences would make a difference? So uh, some of these medications, uh, um, the starting dose uh, could be very close to uh, the final dose. Um, The advantage there is that obviously you don't need to keep titrating the medication up, um, but these medications could also be a little bit more heavy handed. So the patient, uh, a patient who might prefer a more more gradual approach, uh, in that case, we could choose a medication or we can start at a small dose and the medication would allow us to uh, gradually move up on the dose uh, with... um, uh, a chance that we are going to then minimize um, possible adverse effects. A common adverse effect with uh, the second generation uh, of uh, antipsychotics uh, is weight gain. Uh, that could be actually pretty significant with some of these medications. Uh, so uh, we're going to uh, always assess uh, the, the, the possible benefits uh, against this risk for weight gain. So um, uh, if the patient has a history of metabolic problems, um, that's going to uh, direct the choice in a different direction. Some of these medications uh, are not uh, uh, as well tolerated for people who have a history of cardiac, uh, cardiac problems. So somebody who has a history of arrhythmia, for example, might not be a good candidate for some of those. And then another medication in the family would be preferable. Thank you. That's really helpful. And, and weight gain can be a common problem. And what, what can be done about it? Uh, unfortunately, it tends not to be dose dependent. So um, when people you know, gain weight, uh, uh, one of the things to consider uh, is um, uh, first um, diet and exercise. So there are life changes that could help with managing the weight gain. Um, however, if the weight gain remains significant despite implementing life changes, then it's reasonable to um, look at switching the medication to a medication that would be more metabolically neutral. Okay, thank you. Let's move on to pitfalls in management. Are there any common pitfalls in the management of patients with schizophrenia? Being very aggressive and aiming for very high doses for any of the medications that that are available. And uh, uh, while there is a reason to to, uh, aim towards maximal doses uh, during an acute uh, episode, what happens frequently is that people tend to be continued at a dose that's much higher than the required dose for maintenance. Uh, so the dose should be actually assessed based on the presentation. And over time, uh, many many of our patients could uh, uh, fare well with uh, lesser doses of the medications. Um, so what I see in our clinics is that many times we have people who've been taking very high doses for many years, and there is an increased of uh, adverse effects that could be dose dependent. Uh, so it's important to look at the dosing. The other common uh, pitfall is that uh, uh, the opposite is true at times. Uh, people tend to be maybe too gingerly and, and start the medications at a very low dose and keep it at a very low dose due to concern for adverse effects. And then uh, we have uh, you know, a medication that will not work, but the, the lack of efficacy could be due to uh, a dose that's inadequate. So either 
medications that are dosed too high uh, or too little without a clear clinical correlate for the dosing. Okay, thank you. That that's really helpful. And last question: what what have we missed? What other common questions are you asked by doctors about schizophrenia? Schizophrenia um, uh, uh, is a type of psychosis, and uh, there are uh, uh, other causes of psychosis other than schizophrenia. Uh, so it's uh, it's always important to uh, um, uh, make sure that we uh, eliminate or rule out uh, any possible medical problems that could uh, uh, present with psychosis. Uh, people could have a history of drug misuse um, that could result in psychotic presentations. Some of the medications that uh, we doctors prescribe could uh, result in psychotic symptoms. Uh, a good example there is steroids. Uh, so it's important to just uh, make sure that you complete a good workup, do the physical exam, do the blood work to make sure that there are no other uh, what we call organic contributors uh, to um, uh, a psychotic uh, um, clinical picture. Okay, thank you. And in terms of recreational drugs, are, are there any particular recreational drugs that you should ask about? One of the, the common drugs here, you know, I practice in California uh, and in many uh, in many states right now, marijuana is equal. Marijuana is legal. Uh, so cannabis use could increase the risk of schizophrenia. So uh, it's fairly common, uh, uh, should be part of the history, should be uh, part of a urine uh, drug screen. Uh, there are the drugs that have a higher risk of psychosis, though uh, methamphetamines, uh, uh, cocaine, in general, stimulants could significantly increase the, the risk for psychosis. Uh, psychedelics, uh, uh, DLSD, they are not as common, but uh, they, they have a significant increase in, uh, uh, in risk. Okay, thank you very much, Adrian, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.